Hi, this is your host, Nisa Harris, and you are listening to Shomea Ve'ona Tehillim and Other Hebrew Texts Podcast, episode 152. The following is the recitation of Psalm 137, aka Perek or Mizmor Kuf Lamed Zion. After the recitation, stay tuned to hear more about this Mizmor. Psalm 137 Al Naharot Bavel Sham Yashavnu Gam Bachinu Bezachrenu Et Sion Al Aravim Betocha Talinu Kino Rotinu Ki Sham Sheelunu Shovenu Divre Shir Bitolalenu Simcha Shiru Lanu Mishir Sion Ech Nashir Et Shir Adonai Al Admat Nechar Im Eshkachech Yerushalayim Tishkach Yemini Tidbak Lishoni Lechiki Im Lo Ez Kerechi Im Lo Aale Et Yerushalayim Al Rosh Simchati Zechor Adonai Livnei Adom Et Yom Yerushalayim Haomrim Aru Aru Ad Hayesod Ba Bat Bavel Hashduda Ashrei Sheyishalem Lach Et Gimulech Shegamalt Lanu Ashrei Sheyochez Vini Pates et O Lalayech El Hasala. Psalm 137 is a mismore about being in exile. Many will recite this before benching, aka grace after meals during the week. Not on days of happiness like days we say Halal and Shabbat and Yom Tov and Rosh Chodesh, 
when we say shir hamalo before benching instead. Svardim have a custom to recite this on the fast day Tisha B'Av. The Arizal says this as the opening mizmor of Tikkun Yerushalayim, when people wake up at midnight and say a prayer spe- uh, specifically. Some explain that this is recited before grace after meals because we are about to mention and thank Hashem for Yerushalayim, and we temper that by remembering that we are not fully in the rebuilt Jerusalem. Others similarly say that it's said at that time to help us have an awe of Hashem before saying thank you for the food given. A number of sources I have come across see this psalm as depressing, like an Eli Wiesel, Shalom, Holocaust-level recounting of when we were first sent off into exile by the Babylonians with the destruction of the first holy temple, and then again by Edom with the destruction of the second temple. With the Ibn Ezra and Matsudas David explaining that the part that describes sitting and crying by the river of Babylon and hanging their harps up on the willow was sung by the Levites, who at the Holy Temple would use those holy instruments to sing for Hashem, while people gave karbanot, aka sacrifices, and how now they were being mocked and asked to sing their cultural songs on Admat Nechar, on a foreign and strange land, wondering how they could possibly do that. And this is why they were refusing to, because it was meant for Hashem and holy work, and that this is a kina, aka a lamentation. To that, ex- to the extent where uh, there's a midrash that says that the Levium cut off their own thumbs in order to adamantly refuse to play. At the same time, there is the acknowledgement that they managed to take their instruments with them while being forced into exile in the hopes that they would one day play again only to seemingly almost give up here by somberly hanging their harps. On the other hand, I heard from Mr. Yerachmel Goldman on Torah Anytime that there is an acknowledgement that this could all have been a prophecy that was given to David, and even before any holy temple existed, he knew that there would be a destruction of the temples in the future, which on one hand is crazy to think that David, who yearned to build the holy temple, was being shown that it was destroyed before it was even made. And on the other hand, gives a glimpse of hope, like this was all part of the plan. The depressing outlook on this mizmor helps us to understand the last few pasukim that Radak admits simply, it's cruel. It's a graphic expression of the Jews praying to Hashem to take revenge on our behalf and smash the babies of Babylon against the rocks, etc. Chazal explained that there was a mountain piled up of Jewish baby brains that were smashed on rocks in Bavel, Babylon. That is how many were killed. And so this image is recalled at the end, not as what happened to us, but as what we pray will happen to our enemies. And we have talked in other episodes of taking revenge and ill wishes towards others, so I won't address that here, but feel free to listen or, and or ask if you wish to discuss further, because, yeah, that's heavy stuff and not our typical modus operandi. We mentioned that this was like a lamentation, so I read up a little on Eicha, the quintessential book of lamentations, 
and was surprised to find very little linguistic similarities, considering how many presented it to be so depressing. The one phrase that is remotely reminiscent is chapter 4-2. Our precious children of Zion, whose value was once gold, are now counted as earthen pots, which Yael Ziegler in her book on Eicha explains that those children once thought as a valuable gold, now treated as commonplace and disposable, the value of the humans has been reduced to that of earthenware vessels, the work of the divine craftsman who is no longer satisfied with his creation. These concepts together suggest that the author is saying this psalm from a place of rejection, but also hope and connection with prayer that Hashem will ultimately help us defeat our enemies. Just to explain that rejection concept a little further, in Rabbi Zachary Truboff's book, Torah Goes Forth from Zion, he writes, For the Kabbalist, Rav Shagar notes the physical exile of the Jewish people was an outward manifestation of a much deeper spiritual alienation brought about by the temple's destruction. Having lost their direct connection with God, the Jewish people could no longer find their place in the world. They were able to survive this catastrophe. Catastrophe. Rav Shager explains, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong, apologies, only because they discovered the Jewish home was actually not lost. Though it no longer could be found in any physical space, it could be found in the Torah. As long as a Jew remains connected to it, they stay connected to God. The Torah enabled the Jews to make their home anywhere. End quote. Right? Think about all the previous Psalms that we just learned coming from such a connected high with the possibilities of feeling that unity and having a place to call home to where we could invite all the nations of the world to join because we were that comfortable, successful, and at peace knowing who we were and able to practice who we were without fear of retaliation only to lose that physical space so graphically, not once, but twice, and exiled physically, and what could be spiritually as well. And yet, here we are, thousands of years later, Baruch Hashem Kanehara still existing as a people, and still striving to connect to Hashem. Rabbi Daniel Fridman says, that he feels that this the single biggest miracle in our day is that the Jewish people were able to return home. And Baruch Hashem is on account of the hope and connection that they did maintain all those thousands of years that is to their credit for achieving such a feat. My husband, when reading this at first blush, pointed out that this psalm didn't actually seem too depressing. In fact, it seems that it's an attempt of the narrator to try and hold on to a connection while in an outside world that they could easily get swept up in and forget the connection in the homeland altogether, right? It's that other side of the coin of being in a place and being able to connect to Torah or whatever anywhere. We know how easy and comfortable and grateful we can be, for example, that Baruch Hashem, the U.S., enables us to live successful, potentially un- potentially comfortable lives, Kanaihara. And we can say, okay, we're good here. We can just go on and stay connected to Hashem and learn Torah and all is fine for me spiritually. 
In comes the famous Pasuk, If I forget thee, O Yerushalayim, let me forget my right hand. The right hand may be representing your power or success or mercy, connection to Hashem. The Pasuk goes on, If you don't remember Yerushalayim, my tongue should cleave to my palate and should not be able to speak. So far sounding like stroke symptoms, one-sided weakness, difficulty speaking, physically becoming disabled. If we don't elevate Yerushalayim above and beyond our greatest joy, not just talking about the Israel we have today, although that is more helpful for us to remind us of who we can be and how faster to get there as a people. We are talking about the Yerushalayim with the spiritual connection that we had in the times of the Holy Temple that the author is declaring has to be paramount in the hearts and minds of every single Jew. This is the Pasuk, we say, under the chuppah, during the wedding ceremony. Some ensure that it is a somber moment, feeling into Rashi and Radak's take. Rashi, who says, it's a remembrance of the morning of the destruction of Yerushalayim, even during my greatest Simcha celebration. Radak says further, when I am happy about any type of joy, I then have to remember the morning over Yerushalayim, and I will put it above and beyond the Simcha that I am involved in. Basically, marring your simcha with thoughts of what was. Although I feel like this is unhealthy, always mourning, mourning fully, grieving the past. So another opinion by Rabbi Marowick says, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to mar every simcha. You should maximize and enjoy every simcha to the fullest degree. But realize that the simcha that you are experiencing now, as great as you think it is, it's nothing in comparison to the joy and the simcha of when Yerushalayim gets rebuilt and we are all there to partake in it. Kind of reminiscent of the Mizmor feeling we learned from Achenu, how wonderful that if this current celebration feels this good, how wonderful that feeling could be. The third shot is a paraphrase from Rav Williger, Sefer, if you remember and take the memory of Yerushalayim and make it paramount over and above all our joys, that we make this joy that I am experiencing, I want it to help us to be redeemed and bring us home, that I am having this joyous wedding and praying that this beautiful couple build a Bayat Naaman Israel, an everlasting home in Israel, and or doing this and that good deed and learning and understanding more about who I am and what nation and culture and religion I am part of. Why? When you connect your celebration to that of Jerusalem rebuilt with the Holy Temple, then it has a value within something eternal. In other words, you are aiming to help create a peaceful, successful, unified, connective home that you can return to one day. This is more ultimately is a literal and explicit reminder that we are meant to feel a lacking, to feel incomplete, not necessarily as individuals, but as a collective, that ultimately we don't have the complete luxury to exist exactly as we are and be accepted as we come, unfortunately. Some may take this deeply to heart and feel depressed and mournful and hold on to things lost as this is how they best connect. Alternatively, we may use this lacking as a springboard to wake up and recognize how much good we can contribute to the world around us to help us get to that redemptive moment where we know 
that we are home. May we be able to contribute to the world in ways that enable all of us to reach the point where we feel like we are home. May we be able to help the day of that connective redemption come to fruition speedily in our day. The learning and recitation for this week's podcast is in the merit that all those conflicted about returning home have peace of mind and be able to make the decision that ultimately helps helps the bigger picture. If there is an episode that you would like to sponsor, or if you have any questions, please email me at nursenisa1, N-U-R-S-E-N-I-S-A, the number one, at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to join the Facebook group to be aware of upcoming episodes. Please subscribe and share. Thank you for joining. Thank you.